0: And welcome to the Moon Podcast, featuring stories, conversations, and commentary about feminist agroecology from around the world. I'm your host, Anika Rice, and I'll be exploring everything from moon cycles to midwifery, from crop rotation to kombucha brewing, from herbalism to homesteading. How do women, both rural and urban, connect to nature? And what does that process of connection look like? This episode features an in-depth interview with Lindsay Howells, a natural builder based in Portland. Her story is sweet and captivating, and her path so organic. Lindsay studied natural building at the Aprevecho School in Cottage Grove, Oregon, which she will go into detail about in the interview. Before landing there, she worked on a farm in Thailand and learned biodynamic farming up in Washington State. The biodynamic farming she did really interests me. Biodynamic agriculture was developed in the 1920s and is based on the ideas of Rudolf Steiner. It was the first of the organic agriculture movements, treating soil fertility, plant growth, and livestock care as interrelated processes. Biodynamic farmers use preparations made from fermented manure, minerals, and herbs to help restore and harmonize the life forces on the farm. This is said to enhance the nutrition, quality, and the flavor of the food being raised. And there's also an emphasis placed on the spiritual and mystical perspectives of interacting with nature. Let's hear Lindsay's story for more information on natural building and biodynamics. My name
1: is Lindsay Howells. I am a natural builder uh, here in Portland. Um, I am mostly interested in um, natural finishes, plasters, and doing kind of mud work. Um, But I like to play with um, wood and other elements of building as well. and i'm I'm still really exploring um, the different avenues that I could take in this field, um, but finding that I'm being called more and more to the artistic uh, nature and the sculptural um, side of what you can do with with mud and uh, uh, really loving bringing that element, um, of the hand sculpted kind of feel into, um, into a home, uh, the possibility of, of doing that more. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, can you tell me how you got started on this path, um, that got you into natural building? Yeah, it's a it's
1: kind of a long story, but um, I started uh, working in restaurants actually in Portland, and really uh, started developing a a love for good food and um, and seeing how good the food is when it is locally sourced and meeting uh, the people who grew the food through the restaurant that I worked at. Uh, we used to do farm tours and. Um, yeah, so I got to get excited about, um, about food in that way. And over time I decided that I wanted to be more involved in the growing side of food. So it, it all started there. Um, and I, uh, at first I started working on a, a little nonprofit farm in Portland called Zenger Farms. Uh, and they do like education for kids. So I was leading field trips and stuff like that, which was really great getting to talk to kids about the relationship between how and why we grow food the way we do and the area around the farm and the health of the land around the farm. It was right next to a wetland. So we would talk to the kids about keeping the wetland safe with our farming practices and, uh, After doing that for a little while as a volunteer, I decided I wanted to uh, dive in more. So I started woofing, and I did a woof project in Thailand for three months, Um, found a farm over there, and uh, really just fell in love with the lifestyle. Um, So much of the work that we did on the farm in Thailand was... um, hand work and I was sitting around or harvesting or whatever we were doing with these with the the people from that area doing this work of our hands that felt like it had just been the same movement in in a in somebody's body going back for however long you know these like actions of breaking open the beans the dried beans to to be able to harvest them and um, you know, all kinds of different things. Just, it felt so, um, ancient, I guess. Um, and so yeah, falling in love and then wanted to learn more about doing it in my own climate. So I worked on a farm, um, on Bainbridge Island in Washington. It was a small little biodynamic farm. Um, and there I just kind of continued to fall in love with, the relationship between how I felt in my body doing that type of work and being outside and being connected to plants and being connected to my food and the resources that I needed to survive um, and being able to share those resources with other people. Um, And of course, the biodynamic farm was very focused on the celestial relationships as well. So I really learned a lot about the moon um, and its relationship to plant growing and all of that. Then I guess I just uh, started realizing how much I got excited whenever we broke out the tools (laughs) and realizing that I just love building things. Um, I grew up uh, playing in my dad's wood shop and really love, have always loved that tactile, tangible um, expression and I decided to to learn more about building and went to a school called Aprovecho in Cottage Grove, which is a natural building and sustainable living school, and did a program there and have been exploring this whole world that opened up to me uh, through that school ever since of uh, different ways that we can think about building our homes. Would you be more like a bed for me than a reason to begin I-
0: Alicia is an Oakland-based artist, and you can find her music at Lang.com. Now, Lindsay tells us more about the farm that she worked on in Thailand.
1: It was kind of a funny little farm. It was actually started by a a man from Quebec, and he married a woman from uh, the Lisu Hill tribe. So I thought I was going to go there and learn Thai, and nobody spoke Thai on the farm. Everybody (laughs) spoke Lisu or French or English. The goal of the farm was to be, like, as self-sustaining as possible. So we were growing all kinds of things, everything from oranges and bananas and pineapples. There was rice patties that were rotating soy. Uh, there was big vegetable gardens of all different kinds of vegetables. They were, we were growing a lot of dried beans and also things like um, castor for oil, potentially for biofuel, uh, we had an oil press on the farm and we were harvesting and convincing everybody around us to harvest Niger seed for cooking oil because the family on the farm had felt like that was a healthier oil than palm oil and had noticed some change in in their health since they moved from Burma, um, and stopped using Niger seed and started using the, um, palm oil more for cooking. So they were really into uh into having that as a as oil and sharing that and so they had an oil press and people would come and and get their oil pressed. And we had pigs, so we would use the leftover um solid from the oil um, as part of the pig food, I started learning Lisu a little bit, just words. And we had no shared language because a lot of the family members that were the ones that were actually working in the field, day in and day out with us were really didn't speak any English. So it was, they would laugh at me because I'd be gesturing, like, how do you say heavy? And like, act like I'm picking up something heavy, you know, and they're just laughing. And it was just this really sweet, um, Learning about how you can connect with somebody with no, no common language or common culture through this shared work. I think that's one of the biggest things that I took out of that experience was how important that shared work in terms of community is for like growing relationships.
0: biodynamic farm on Bainbridge Island, specifically how you farmed in conjunction with the phases of the moon and what certain activities you would do at certain times of the months or on certain days. And, and then lastly, how that made you feel and your connection to it all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On the biodynamic
1: farm, um, we used a calendar that is associated with the moon phases and cycles and also where the moon is in relationship to the constellations. So it's not just about the phases of the moon, but also about where those phases happen in the sky. Mm -hmm. A full moon in Libra is really different from a full moon in Capricorn, or whatever, something like that. So every day the calendar shows where the moon is, in what constellation, And each constellation has a uh, relationship to earth, water, fire, air. So that can dictate where the moon is. If the moon is in an earth sign, it's a good day for doing anything related to a root. So harvesting carrots or beets or cultivating them or anything like that versus if you are wanting to, uh, work with your lettuces or something leafy, then you would wait until a different day, uh, when the moon is in a different place. And of course this is a, a guideline that we can always follow, but if you have two things that there's no other reason why you need to do one before the other, we would check in with that. You know, sometimes you have to harvest cause you have to harvest, but oftentimes we would look at that. And just kind of be be paying attention to, um, well, if we can only do one bed, let's do this bed because of the day that we're in. I was there for a full season, like eight, eight months or so. By the end of it, I couldn't imagine growing vegetables without knowing where the moon was all the time. It was just so much a part of the daily conversation. And also, in terms of my own experience we talked a lot about the the relationship between the science and the spirit of it I guess um, the thing that really I came out of that experience with that still I still think about all the time is this kind of notion of inhale and exhale that everything goes through in relationship to the moon and in relationship to the Sun and all of these other things the moon definitely shows it so, so well, you know, we have the the tides, we have like this huge thing that we can see that we know is in relationship to the moon. And we have our personal bodies and our cycles, and um, we can really feel and see the evidence of that um, with the moon. But it's also happening with All these other celestial bodies and all this other stuff, you know. On the farm fields, we talked a lot about, well, the tides are rising. So is the water in everything, in the plants and in our bodies. If we want nice, crispy, juicy lettuce, let's harvest that at a time when it's full of water. Would that be when the moon is waxing? It would be... As the, yes, as the moon is waxing is a time. Mm-hmm. And then also if the moon is in a water sign or if the moon is, yeah. Also certain times when, if the moon is closer. So there's not just the phases of the moon. There's also apogee and perigee where the moon is closer or farther from the earth actually in its in its cycle the way it's moving. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that affects it as well. One full moon can be further out than another full moon so that can kind of change slightly. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. What kinds of differences did you see uh in the plants in terms of the health of the plants or the quality or characteristics of the vegetables with biodynamic farming?
1: It was amazing. Like it was I felt like everything that we grew was so um, vibrant in color and flavor. It just kind of glistened. Um, and you'd go to, we would go to the farmer's market, and I swear, I wasn't, it wasn't biased. I was like, our vegetables look great all the time. Um, just, yeah. And we would do uh, preps, biodynamic preps, where you spray these different like, teas and tinctures and kind of things as the easiest way to describe them, um, all, all um, throughout the, the farm. And those moments were just incredible. The, the silica prep that we would spray was one that was done on a, a warm day, a sunny day in the morning, and we would spray this silica. It was like quartz crystal ground up. Uh, we put it in, you put it in a bucket of water in the morning and you it one direction clockwise, and then you bring it into chaos, and then you spin it back the other direction counterclockwise, and then you bring it back into chaos, and you do that for an hour. Um, basically, you're kind of doing homeopathy. You're like breaking down the energy of this more than actual physical form of, of this silica into the water, and then we put it in a backpack sprayer and run through the field spraying all the... All the plants and it was my favorite thing it was literally like dancing in the light because you're spraying this crystal water and all of the plants are just shimmering and gorgeous and like you're just in this cloud of crystal water and then the next day all the tomatoes that were green are now red all the plants are like way bigger i swear just the next day it was like, everything was so much happier so
0: wow yeah oh my gosh and how about spiritually what was your connection to the moon like when you were doing the biodynamic farming? Spiritually
1: for me I felt I just felt that like that centering or that awareness of of that I was seeing in the external world also in me. I I dreamt more and more vibrantly. I felt just more grounded and Just more aware, you know, it's like after you take a yoga class or something like that, and you suddenly realize the way you're sitting because you're just practicing your posture or
0: whatever. It kind of felt like that. I'd love to know more about the program and natural building design course that you did at the Aprovecho School Mm -hmm. in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Yeah. Can you tell me about that?
1: Aprovecho is a fantastic, fantastic place. It has been some version of a school or scientific laboratory or something like that for 30 years. It started off 30 years ago and it was where the rocket stove was kind of designed and developed. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with rocket stoves, but it's a way of highly, uh, highly efficiently burning wood through what's called a J tube. So you create basically a, a J shaped, um, hole for the fire and then the wood goes in the side and the, and the fire burns right at the crux of that jay and you feed it really small little sticks and it burns very very efficiently with way less emissions um and with way less wood used so it's actually they've been taking uh, rocket stoves all over the world and working with indigenous people who cook in their homes, who are having, especially women and children, having lung issues. It's a possible alternative way to cook indoors that is healthier. But the school actually broke off from the stove lab a while ago. So the school that I went to is more focused on general sustainable living, homesteading and natural building skills. And the program that I took was a seven week intensive where we, we built a small structure in seven weeks. And so we had like foundation week and timber framing week, wall systems week, floor, all, all the, all the different parts. I think what's interesting is that We're taught that we need an expert to come in and solve our problems. That's the way our society is designed these days. I had a very like tangible experience of that not being true in this course. Obviously, you can't become an expert in a week um, about any one thing, but being able to wrap my brain around it just enough to where it felt accessible enough to where I could maybe go out and try it again. That was so empowering. And then at the end of the seven-week program, we did a practicum, and we also did an independent project. The thing that still felt the most inaccessible to me after the initial seven weeks was the timber framing, because timber framing is very technical and specific. And I wanted to design and build a timber frame, so I did. And that was so empowering (laughs) to go the, the step where I went from um, having it on a piece of paper as a drawing to like, OK, now I actually have to go out there and look at the wood and move it around and cut it. And um, was terrifying, <laughs> but it all came together really well. Now I feel like I have that more ingrained in my head. I think that the main thing about women in building that is really important is that there's a need to bring a different type of intentionality and focus to the way we do a lot of things, including building our homes. Women as builders can represent that. For example, when we started this this art studio conversion project we sat down and we talked about our values for the project that were going to be the basis for our decision making it's very easy to default to what's the cheapest what's the fastest what's the you know we wanted to make sure that we were maintaining focus on on art and nature and creating a space that feels really good and really safe and healthy uh, when you walk in. The direction building has gone in kind of the conventional world is really hard for me to see because it's kind of this, it's like slap it up, very chemical and processed way of building things. And it's not It's not healthy and it's not going to last. They're not going to last very long. And it disregards the environment around what you're building as well. Bringing a different focus to me is really important, not just in the materials that you choose, but also like the way you choose to design your home in terms of. Like, for example, passive solar, like paying attention to where the sun is in the sky and how that sun is going to hit your windows at different times of the year. And if you pay attention to that, you don't have to have a heating and cooling system almost at all, you know, if you make sure that, you know, the summer sun is not coming in and the winter sun is coming in. And that's just all about figuring out your sun angles and positioning the majority of your windows on the Southern side, if you live in the Northern hemisphere and as humans, we love to just kind of bust through and say like, well, I want, I want to put my house here. This is just where I want it, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes that's a waterway or a cliff or a, you know, all kinds of mm-hmm. weird places that we decide to build things. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to come back to being an attention first and asking first rather than just blurting out what we think we want, you know, and like waiting to be inspired by the land and the community and what the what you're trying to create energetically.
0: Conventional building, where you're saying conventional building is kind of like a can sometimes be like a slap it up attitude and with using like the cheapest or easiest materials and parallels being made with agroecology and conventional agriculture, where Mm -hmm. in conventional agriculture it's all about monocropping and it's not integrated in the landscape and a lot of times people are just throwing pesticides at the crops and creating more environmental problems, whereas with agroecology, which is um, really rooted in the home and women as caregivers and care- caretakers of the land, looking at all the different peripheral aspects of using plants for food and medicine and medicinal uses of plants for the whole family, bringing diversity into the crops and etc. So yeah, it's like kind of totally the same concepts and it's really cool to hear about natural building as
1: well it is totally the same and living in portland i feel like i'm watching myself be surrounded by a monocrop of houses because i mean when you can when you watch them go up they all are you know this osb is is like a pressed board plywood it's a, kind of like a plywood but made all of like little tiny scraps of glued together wood and that's what we're, every house every new house is every new building is just a OSB box covered in something pretty to make it look interesting and different, but it's not, they're all, you know, they're all have this kind of thing underneath. And, um, yeah, so I I totally feel like I'm in a monocrop, like watching this kind of forest of houses of all the same house.
0: And if you think about the longevity of the structures and create and, people trying to create a home and a life and a future in them, they're just, they're not, they're not sustainable and they're not viable for long-term kind of visions.
1: Yeah. The, um, a lot of the natural building techniques that we use are not, None of them are new. There were pulling from ancient knowledge of the way we used to do things from all different places all over the world. I mean, there are houses that we know of that are, you know, that have been standing and consecutively lived in for hundreds and hundreds of years that were built with these like traditional natural techniques. Yeah, I don't see that happening with a
0: lot of these things that are going on around here these days. <laughs> yeah. So what is one of your favorite traditional building techniques, and can you kind of go into detail about about the process?
1: I'll say that one of my favorite techniques in terms of its capacity uh, for sculptability is cob. You can make a cob house look pretty conventional and square, or you can make it look like a total hobbit hole, or you can make it look anywhere in between totally sculpted. Um, all the little niches and fun curves and and things that you can do is just amazing. Um, and it's also pretty cool because it's thermal mass. It's not actually insulative insulation reflects back the heat or the cold that it's receiving. Um, Cobb actually slowly takes on the heat of the day, the heat of the sun or the heat from your fire, um, and absorbs that holds it and then re-releases it. If you build your walls right and thick enough, you can still have your walls feel cool to the touch all through your summer day on the inside. And then once the sun goes down, the heat eventually gets through your wall and your walls are warm and radiating heat into your home in the evening when it's cool and it, like a desert climate or, you know, other climates where, um, you have those hot days and cold nights. Um, it's pretty amazing.
0: What is like your dream natural building, uh, project? And if you had kind of unlimited budget and space and resources, what would (laughs) you do? How long is this podcast?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, my dream is to build a home on my parents' property, um, out in Oregon City. And I have the spot picked out and everything. And it's kind of overlooking where the farm fields would be. What I would ideally want is not a huge space, but a kind of, it would be either straw bale or light clay straw, something very insulative on like the north side and then probably cob or something on the south side. So I would have hopefully kind of a half rounded structure. The main thing that I've got figured out is that I want to have an attached greenhouse on the South side, on part of the South side, um, which you can do really cool things with that. Um, in terms of heating and cooling, you can create vents uh, uh, between your greenhouse space and your house, um, um, like down low and up high that you can open and close to like let in or keep out Cold or hot air between your greenhouse and your house. Um, So, you can actually heat your greenhouse in the winter by allowing your wood fire warmed uh, interior space um, to be open to your greenhouse, or you can heat your house and through the greenhouse if the greenhouse is hot. My main thing that I really want is I want a shower in my greenhouse. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like a cedar plank, you know, shower, um, maybe with uh, like rock walls or something like that and then to just kind of be surrounded by awesome plants i have a lot of dreams about um having kind of like a tropical wonderland greenhouse (laughs) where i can grow lemons and sweet potatoes and mangoes i was i don't know if you keep a mango in a pot if it won't get really big i'm not sure (laughs) can you bonsai mango trees?
0: oh well i hope to be able to visit that house one day when you're done with it (laughs) we do Thanks for tuning into the moon podcast. I'm your host, Annika Rice. The moon podcast features stories, conversations and commentary about feminist agroecology from around the world with content about women and by women. We can inspire each other to cultivate our own unique connection to our natural world. This episode featured music by Alicia Lang and Elena Shelton. This podcast is created and produced by Annika Rice. If you've been liking the moon podcast, please, please take a few minutes to review it on iTunes And if you have any questions, comments, or just want to get in touch, you can write to themoonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at themoonpodcast. Thanks so much, and catch you next time.